Amen. Yes. So um, let me say a couple things <clears throat> in preparation for. Anybody know what next Sunday is? Easter. <clears throat> and so we are believing and asking God for uh, an overflow crowd. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yeah, we are. And so here's what I'm going to ask of you guys next Sunday. If you're regular folk, and if you're wondering if you're regular folk or not, if you're here, you're regular folk. If you're sitting here, you hear my voice right now, you're regular folk. Then I'm going to ask you next week to move uh, up and in because new people don't like to come set up front. And so if you're a little uncomfortable, you can come up here and sit with me and Bobby. You can come up front and move in, leave the aisle seats and leave the back seats for people who are just here for the first time. Also, you may want to consider parking down the street or parking across the street. Let's save our best parking spots for our guest, right? Because we want everybody to feel comfortable next week and know their love. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, we love our guests. Yeah, amen, amen. All right, so um, I want to talk, try to do it quickly this morning. I'm in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, and we've been talking about house party. And if you remember, we've talked about in Luke chapter 14 how God threw this party and he, uh, he wanted to make it great and he wanted to invite everybody and he sent his servants out to invite and we are the servants and we're supposed to be inviting people into this party, right? Um, and so let me ask you this real quick. Anybody ever like get aggravated at like those new customer deals? And, and so like what I'm saying is like if you're the new customer, you like you get the discount, it's great. But if you've been the customer for 20 years, you're like, where's my discount? Yeah, some of you are going, yeah, what about that? So we're going to sort of read a story that's sort of about like that today, okay? And I'm going to read the whole chapter 15. Hope that doesn't bother you guys. Uh, but I'm going to read the whole chapter of, of Luke chapter 15. And then we're going to talk about the last parable that Jesus gives us in this chapter. Okay, so it says, starting verse 1, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Can you imagine they were like, Jesus, why are you hanging out with sinners? And later he was referred to as a friend of sinners and Jesus liked that so much he sort of kept that tag. Yeah, I'm a friend of sinners. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will carry to call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her, call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. 
And the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Anybody ever seen pig slop before? Can you imagine that looking good? Hmm. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to, buy my father, go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on, his, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Amen. Some of y'all ready to party. Some of you aren't yet. Well, you'll get there. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours came back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is now found. Amen. Amen. So here's the big idea this morning. Heaven throws a party every time a lost soul is found. And so we talked about the, the heart of the host. We, we talked about the interest of the environment. And today we're going to talk about the behavior of the big brother. And so we read in this story, Jesus starts off by talking about a, a, a shepherd who has 99 sheep or 100 sheep and he loses one, but he's willing to leave the 99 to go find the one. And it says when, when he finds the one, he's going to celebrate. And what he says is that in heaven, there's more rejoicing over one that comes back or one that's lost than all those who have always been there. Now, that may bother you if you're the one who's always been there. If you're not getting the new customer deal, that may bother you. And then he goes on to say that there's a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. She'll turn the house upside down. And when she finds it, she's going to rejoice, call everybody in, have a big party. 
And it says there's rejoicing in heaven every time one who's lost is found, right? And I was going to do this. I told Bobby I was going to do this sermon illustration that I wisely, I think, chose not to. But I was going to stand up here this morning and say, don't worry, I just got a report from the police that someone stole a car in our parking lot. Um, but they, they're chasing it down 75. They think they'll have it back this afternoon. Don't worry about it. I was going to do that and then talk about how much worried you'd be about your car compared to worried about a lost soul. But I didn't do that. So your cars are safe. Okay, your car, nobody's stolen a car. You're good. But, but so let's talk about the son real quick. So the son, the, the prodigal son as he's called, says, God, or it says father, and the father represents God. And, and so he says, father, I want all my money now. I want it. I, instead of, I can't wait for you to die. You're still healthy. You're young. It's going to take a long time. Can I just have my money? And he goes off and he squanders it. And he ends up feeding pigs. And in this moment, he realizes I was much better off in my father's house. Much better off. And so he comes home full of shame, full of sorrow, and stinky. You ever had to come home full of sorrow and full of shame and maybe a little stinky? Come on. And he's coming home and he says, in my father's house, I, I, I could be better off. So he, he decides he's going to come back and he's, he's on the way he's rehearsing. I'm going to tell him I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll, I'll be glad to be a, a servant. I'll, I'll be glad to just, just be a servant in your house. And so there's three things he does here. It says he came to his senses. And so in this moment, he makes this decision that I'm, I would be better off. It it's, makes more sense for me to be a servant in my father's house. It makes more sense to be the lowest guy at the bottom of the rung in my father's house than it is out here doing this because I'm going to die. This is terrible. And he begins by making a decision. And some people maybe in this room need today to make a decision. You need to think through this realistically. You need to make a rational decision that, that it's going to be better for me to be a follower of Jesus than, than living like I am now. It's going to be better for me to go in 100%. Even if I have to swallow some pride, even if I have to turn away from some things, it's going to be better off. And then the second thing is he got up and he went and he made this step of faith and he actually went to his father. And so God may be calling you in just a few moments to stand up and make a step of faith and walk down an aisle and say, I want to come back home. Or maybe if you've never known Jesus before, you've never been a Christian, the, the Lord is calling you this morning. He's drawing you in and says, I want to I bless you. I want to I give you the best life you can possibly have. And then the third thing he did was on the way, he decides that he's going to come with humility and repentance. And he decides that I know it's going to be a humbling thing to come home and say, I'm, I blew it. I'm, all the money's gone. I wasn't a big success. None of it worked out. But I repent because he says, I've sinned before heaven and you, Father. And when we become a Christian, we just, we have to repent and just say, God, I've tried it my way. And it's not worked out. Things have not been great. I, I've been the Lord of my life and, and I've squandered a lot of things. I've made some mistakes. 
But God, would you please forgive me? And as we prayed earlier, there's a promise in the Word of God that says if we'll come to Him and we'll confess our sins, He will forgive us, right? And welcome us home. And so that's the prodigal son. And he comes, he decides that he's going to come home. And then the father meets him on the road. Not only meets him, he's looking for him. Now notice, he sees him coming a far way off. And so the father, you could just imagine, every day is just sat on the, however you want to imagine, on the front porch, just looking down the road. Maybe today, today, maybe today's the day. So he sees him coming a long way off, and he runs to him. Can I tell you that the Heavenly Father today is just looking for you to take the first step? And He's going to run to you. He's been waiting. He's been calling. He's been thinking about you. His, his, he has never stopped thinking about you from the moment you were born, from the moment you walked away from Christ, whatever it may be. He has never stopped thinking about you. He's continually thinking about you. And He's looking for that moment when you'll make that move and start coming and He will come to you. And then it says... That he, put, he said, get, go get the finest robe. Now, I want you to think where this guy had been. He'd been living with pigs. So he probably didn't smell the best. Probably didn't look the best. But the father did not say, go take a shower and then we'll get you a robe on you. He said, let me get the finest robe I've got in the house, and I'm going to cover all that stink up. And so when everybody else sees you, they're not going to see the stink on you. They're going to see my robe on you. And so God's saying today, you don't have to get all cleaned up before you come back. You come to me, I'll cover your stink. I'll cover your sin. I'll cover that stuff for you. Let me do that for you. Let me work that out for you. You just come to me with the right heart, and I'll cover you up. And then it says they put a ring on his finger, and a ring means that he was now, again, part of the family, and he could conduct business. Now, can you imagine for a moment the kid who took the money and spent it all, and when he gets back saying, welcome back, here's the family checkbook. I trust you. Here's my credit card. If you need anything, go on down the store and get what you need. This is the guy that just blew it all. And the big brother says he even blew it on prostitutes. And so the father's saying, look, I'm giving you the authority of the family back. He didn't say, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll see how this works out. Uh, if you can probably in about a year or so prove yourself, I'll, I'll give you the ring back. But he says, I'm going to give you the ring back. And then he puts sandals on his feet, which means you're a member of the family. You're not a slave. Now notice he said, he says to him, I, I'll, I'll be a slave, dad. I, I don't care. I'll just come be a servant. He said, no, you're not going to be a servant. Come be my son. Put these shoes on. This signifies to everybody who sees you that you're a son, not a servant. And God wants to do that for all of us. To bring us back into the family and bring us back in. And, and whether you strayed away or, or you're here, this is the first time you've ever been in church and you don't even know what we're doing. And, you're, and what are those people up there saying and what are they doing, what are they singing? God has brought you into this place today because He loves you. And he wants, you, he wants to put the robe around you. He wants to put the ring of authority on your finger. He wants to put sandals on your feet and say, you're one of my children now. And that's where the heart of the Father is, right? 
And he says, let's throw a party. Let's have a party. Let's, let's kill the, that fatted calf. We've been fattening up, getting ready for a party. We're going to throw it for him. Let's have the best time. And then just like where Jesus had said in those first two parables, that the angels rejoice in heaven. There's rejoicing in heaven. There's great rejoicing in heaven. But then there was the big brother. And the big brother's out in the field. And he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's out in the field working for the father. Like a good boy is supposed to do. Right? Doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he hears this party going on. What is going on up at the house? Why are the windows shaking? What are all these people on the porch dancing? What's going on? And so he, he goes and finds somebody. He says, oh, your brother came home, man. Your brother is back. And we're throwing a party. Come on. And what's his response? He gets mad. He gets mad. And he says, listen, man, I, I've been doing everything just right. I've been coming to church for 30 years. I've taught Sunday school. I drove a van. I watched the kids. I cleaned the parking lot. I've done everything my father. And now this guy comes in that we don't even, he's just been out living this crazy lifestyle. He's blown all my father's money. He's, he's wasted all this stuff. He comes back and we're going to celebrate that? But I want you to see what the father does. He refuses to go in. The father also runs out to him. Says the father comes outside to him and says, Come on in. Come on in. And so this, this older brother had a couple things going on with him. Even though he had been there doing the right thing, he had values that did not line up with heaven. He was more interested in what he was lacking. Wait a minute, you never threw a party for me than he was in the soul of his brother. And so heaven says, listen, it's all about people. Why did Jesus die on a cross for us? For people. So people could get saved. So people could come back into relationship with God. So there would no longer be, the Bible calls it enmity. There would be no division between us and God any longer. So that God could be with His people and His people could be with God. And, and so anyone could come into relationship with Him. And so God's values are people. You are more valuable to God than anything on this planet. Jesus said it this way. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Is there anything as valuable as a soul? There's nothing in God's heart that's more valuable than a soul. There's nothing. And here's the thing. There should be nothing more valuable to us than a soul. And so, can I ask you a couple questions? Don't answer out loud. Please don't. But do you ever, does it ever bother you to see someone who maybe has not been as faithful as you are get their prayers answered before you do? Or someone who's not been around as long as you get promoted by God into some ministry that you never got promoted into? I, I, can, I can remember um, 
this guy, came, when I, I used to work at a bank, and this guy came in one time, and we got to talking, and somehow the subject of church and the Lord came up, and he goes, yeah, he goes, let me, can I tell you my testimony real quick? And, and so, uh, backdrop real quick, I've been praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at this time for about a year and a half. Year and a half, guys. This guy comes in and goes, yeah, he said, I went to a, me and some buddies were up in Richmond, and we were drinking, and we were drunk, and we saw this tent revival, and we thought we'd go in there and just call some cane and make fun of the place. He said, I went in there, I got saved, and the Lord filled me with the Holy Spirit. I was like, you were drunk. What? I've been praying. And sometimes we see things like this happen. It's the heart of the big brother. And we start going, why? Does it ever bother you when you see someone who's been living that, the left of the pig pen all of a sudden come in and they're wearing the robe and the ring and the sandals? Ever bother you when there's a party thrown and it's for them? That's, that's flesh. That's just natural for us. That's why, the, that's why the new customer deal bugs us when we've been a customer for 10 years. Right? It's flesh. And, and so the, the problem with the big brother was his values were out of whack. And guys, for those of us who have been around for a while, we need to constantly remind ourselves that there's nothing more valuable than people. There's nothing more valuable than a soul. The other thing is, he didn't understand God's economy. And what I mean by this is, he was looking like, you blew this. Now you've come back, and, and you've got the ring on your finger again. What about me? And I want you to notice what, what the father says to him towards the very end. He says, you've never done anything wrong. You've been here. You've always done what I've asked you. And everything that I have is yours. He was not going to lose anything by the brother coming back. And in God's economy... It's not like we have to be in competition with our brothers and sisters for his favor or his anointing or his blessings. The, the prodigal son can have everything and the big brother can have everything in God's economy. And, and in God's kingdom, it's not like I've got to get ahead of somebody or I've got to get in front of the line to get something. Because actually he says those who are last will be the greatest, right? And so don't worry about... If you see somebody else prospering quicker than you are, God's still going to take care of you. Don't worry if God's using somebody more than you right now. He's still going to use you. If we just keep our heart right before him, there's not a competition. And it, we're brothers, right? We're brothers and we should be excited for each other. Amen. So I want to real quickly compare this big brother to another big brother in the scriptures. The Bible says that one day this guy named Andrew was out and he meets Jesus. And he realizes Jesus is the Messiah. And what he does, he runs to get his little brother, Peter. He says, Peter, you've got to meet the Messiah, man. Come with me. His heart was, I want my little brother to have everything I've got. And he watched then as Peter gets promoted above him. But Andrew has no problem with that. Because his heart was right. And he wanted his brother, he wanted his brother to know Jesus. And so guys, listen. Every, look around the room real quick. Just look at people sitting in front of you, side of you real quick. Everybody you see in this room, everybody that you will ever see is a soul. 
Everybody you ever meet is a soul. And that soul will either end up in heaven or hell. C.S. Lewis says it's something like this. He says they're either going to end up being something so glorious that we would not even be able to stand to look at it because it's so glorious or somebody that's so grotesque that we cannot stand to look at it. One or the other, that's only two options. Everybody you ever meet, your cashier, your waitress, the person who works on your car, the people you work with, everybody in this room, they're a soul that's either going to end up in heaven It's this glorified body or they're going to end up in hell being tortured forever. And we all are responsible for that. You're responsible for everyone in this room. You're responsible for everybody that you ever meet. Now, I know that you can only do what you can do, but that's not an excuse for doing nothing. And so God's called us to be a big brother like Andrew, this story ends with sort of a cliffhanger. We don't really know what this big brother does, do we? We know how we'd like it to end. I think Jesus leaves it there to sort of ask the question, so what would you do if you're the big brother? How would you handle it? How would you handle it if the younger brother comes in and he squandered it and he's embarrassed the family? One last thought. As I was reading it this time, I never thought about this. I wondered, why didn't the big brother ever go try to find his little brother? He was doing what he was supposed to do. Yes, he was doing all this stuff, but couldn't he have gone and tried to find him? I don't know. Jesus leaves all that as a question. And I think the question is for us. For those of you who are the big brother in the room, how are we going to handle it? God wants us to welcome those people in and throw a party. And every time that someone comes back, it's the most exciting thing in the church. And every time somebody gets saved, we're going to celebrate that bigger than we celebrate anything. There should be nothing we celebrate more than someone giving their life to Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing should compare. Because Jesus says, look, there's there's more joy in heaven over the one than all this other stuff, right? So would you stand with me this morning?